Good afternoon, fellow directors, past presidents, members, and guests. Welcome to the 118th season of the Empire Club of Canada. My name is Kelly Jackson. I am the president of the board of directors of the Empire Club and an associate vice president at Humber College. I am your host for today's virtual event, the role of the aviation sector in Toronto's economic recovery. I'd like to begin this afternoon with an acknowledgement that I am hosting this event within the traditional and treaty lands of the Mississaugas of the Credit and the homelands of the Anishinaabe, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wyandotte peoples. In acknowledging traditional territories, I do so I do so from a place of understanding the privilege my ancestors and I have had since they first arrived here in the 1830s. Today, as I think about the land we are all on, I am reflecting on its many stories and those of the people who have lived on it. As we continue to learn more about the experiences of Indigenous children who were forced to attend residential schools, it's clear that many of their stories remain untold, buried with them in the land. And many survivors who have tried to tell their stories have not been believed. As we work towards reconciliation, how we listen and learn from each other is so important. We encourage everyone tuning in today to learn more about the traditional territory on which you work and live. I now want to take a moment to recognize our sponsors who generously support the Empire Club and make these events possible and complimentary for our supporters to attend. Thank you to our supporting sponsors, Edelman and Tayo, the Tourism Industry Association of Ontario, who you will be hearing from later with some closing remarks delivered by President and CEO, Christopher Bloor. And thank you to our seasoned sponsors, the Canadian Bankers Association and Waste Connections of Canada. Last but not least, I also wanna thank our event partner, VBC and livemeeting.ca for webcasting today's event. Now, I do wanna take a moment to remind everyone participating today that this is an interactive event. Those attending live are encouraged to engage with our speakers by taking advantage of the question box to the right of your screen. We'll try to incorporate as many questions as possible throughout the discussion. We also invite you to share your thoughts on social media using the hashtags displayed on the screen throughout the event. To those watching on demand at a later date and to those tuning in on the podcast, welcome. It is now my pleasure to call this virtual meeting to order. Today's discussion will highlight the importance of the aviation sector to Toronto's economic restart and recovery. And in particular, the key role Billy Bishop Toronto City Airport plays in the region's integrated transportation network. Our panelists will look at how this airport connects Canada's financial sector with our largest global trading partner, the United States, and the important role it will play in helping to reinvigorate business travel. We will also hear from new airline entering Connect Airlines on why it has its eye on this airport as the hub for a new passenger service to key American cities. It is now my absolute pleasure to welcome Farah Mohammed, Neil Paikey, John Thomas, and Scott Beck to the Empire Club's 
virtual stage. Farah is our moderator today and is a tri-sector executive leader with national and international experience in government, social profit, for-profit sectors, and as an independent director for Music Canada. She has extensive experience in communications, government relations, corporate social responsibility, and leading teams built for purpose. She is currently working on the launch of a game-changing business to engage operate. Sorry, to engage corporations to combat climate change and deliver on ESG obligations. She lives less than one kilometer away from Billy Bishop Airport. Farah will introduce our panelists, and if you would like to learn more about them, you can scroll below and see more about them and their full bios. Now, I'd like to turn it over to Farah to get the discussion started. Over to you. Thanks, Kelly. It's a real pleasure to be uh, leading this panel and to be on the Empire stage. Thank you so very much. So um, the way forward today is you've all read the bios. So I thought rather than rehash any bios, I would share with you a little bit about each of the panelists um, from a little less of a formal point of view. So Neil, let's start with you, Neil. Neil Pakey is the CEO of Newport Aviation. Neil is from across the pond, as we like to say. You can talk to him about what that means about Haggis another time. When you scan Neil's bio, you think that Neil was born to be in aviation, having spent more than four decades in the sector. I can tell you from personal experience on every occasion that I've seen Neil, whether it is at events that we used to have them, passing him on Queen's Key, literally in an intersection, or any other avenue that I've seen him, he was always really clear on his commitment to making sure that what happens at the terminal is best for this city. Neil, it's a pleasure to be on the stage with you. John Thomas. John is the CEO of Connect Airlines. John is also the CEO and found co-founder of Waltzing Matilda Aviation, the company launching Connect Airlines. This fall, John will be hopefully landing planes and taking them off from Billy Bishop um, and will be, the destinations will be Northeast and Midwest United States. We're very excited to hear more about that, John. John has got also 40 years of experience in aviation, which likely explains why he was chosen to lead the turnaround of Virgin Australia Airlines. No small feat, I'm sure, John. I think he's the person that you lobby if you want to try to get a seat on Virgin Galactic. So I'll leave people to do that during the VIP session. John, welcome um, to the stage. Scott Bat Scott. Scott is the president and CEO of Destination Toronto. Scott came to Toronto a couple of years ago from Salt Lake City to head up Destination Toronto. It's no surprise that when you say visitor, like literally say the word visitor, in any sentence, Scott will raise his head and jump into the conversation because this is a man with lots of big ideas. Um, he spent his life literally in the hospitality sector, which gives him all kinds of angles and is what we would call, in terms of all of these men on this panel, what we call brain gain to Canada. Despite COVID, Scott's been generating ideas on how to bring back Toronto to life. And I can tell you that whenever he's got the opportunity He's eager to always open up his network and make things happen for this city. So with that, I hope that um, the panelists are going to show a little bit of their flavor, of their background, and for their passion, obviously, for this city. So we're going to ease into the conversation. We're going to start with uh, the fact that none of us on this panel were actually born in Toronto. Yet here we are, 
um, really trying to make the city the place to be in terms of where you work, where you live, and where you have fun along the way. So a question for all of you is, what has surprised you the most about Toronto? Neil, I'm going to start, start with you. I'll head over to Scott, and then John will end that question with you. Neil. Uh, just, rem just remember, everyone, to take yourselves off mute, because I think... I do. Perfect. Thank you very much. <laughs> Uh, and thanks for the introduction. Um, yeah, my, my, my first uh, recollection of arriving in Toronto, I was with my son and I, I was going to take him to all the traditional tourist uh, venues, all the all the big ticket items, if you like. But I said to, to, to my son, Louis, look, you, you, you choose what we do. So he took me up Graffiti Alley, he took me to a, a shoe shop, the shoe shop on Bloor, is it, where they, where, they, uh, where, they, uh, where you get your picture taken upside down and things like this. And, it was a great tour all through my son's eyes. It's fantastic. And I think that then combined with uh, the diversity of people, uh, incredible going into the office for the first time. I looked at a big whiteboard there where everybody put hello on the, on the, on the wall, you know, welcome. And, but they did it in their own languages. And we've only got a team of 23, and yet there are 17 different languages up there. And I just thought, you know, this... Is great, and 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 it, Toronto has never let me down when it comes to looking for um, great experiences uh, with diversity. It's, I knew about it before I came, but uh, seeing and breathing it is is believing it, and uh, that that's perhaps for me the biggest surprise that it's actually true. It's a really di great diversity. That's great, Scott. Wow, I mean a lot of things, but um, I I call it micro pride. Um, I was exposed to Toronto as a visitor and people were always proud that, that they were from Toronto. But then when you got here and I took the 501, the entire length of the 501 to look for a place to live and to stay. And everyone I met in a coffee shop or spoke to, the staff I spoke to, there was this enormous micro pride in their own neighborhood. And I had heard that Toronto is a city of neighborhoods and I thought it was a cliche or a marketing sort of position, but it's not. I am so um, inspired by that pride and that micro community that is such a part of Toronto. And it, it is surprising, but it is also so refreshing. That's great. Thanks very much. And John. So far, I, I'm going to be the boring one. <laughs> I mean, what really surprised me about Toronto being a major North American city was just the amount of development. Every time I come to Toronto, I'm just, I'm just so surprised by the buzz. I mean, there's always stuff going on. And for, for a city that's so large to have that level of activity on development, I think it's just phenomenal. It's a real testament to the city that a city that large can still be growing with the amount of development that's going on. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that was boring. I think that's something that we're all really excited about and leads perfectly into my first question around, let's focus on the economy. So um, Scott, I'm going to start with you. What has been the impact of COVID-19 to the urban visitor economy in Toronto? And from your point of view, how do we recover? Um, well, the impact enormous. Um, we uh, tracked the first full year of the impact and the lost economic sort of vitality was $8.35 million. Um, and I want to sort of qualify that by saying that hasn't stopped. Um, you know, if you look at what's going on right now, we're, we're not in the recovery yet. So to sort of, you know, give even more context to that, every month we're closed, our community loses $650 million from the impact of lost visitation. So it just, you know, and, and I, when we talk about the, the impact of the, the, the pandemic, we sort of talk about it in the past tense. 
And mm-hmm. I just want to sort of clarify that it's in the present tense for us. Um, and I think the, the visitor economy is a complex ecosystem. There is not one path to recovery, but there is no recovery without the full recovery of business travel, including meeting and events. For an urban city like Toronto with all of the assets we have from an economic perspective, the second largest financial sector in North America, the second largest tech sector in North America, business travel is so key to that ecosystem and meetings and events. You just think about things like collision and not having 28,000 people with that sort of focus on the, one of the most vital economic sectors to our community, you know, that that's, what's going to put us on the path to recovery. Um, and I don't want to, you know, overstate the obvious, but that connection to the, the U S is what really is going to drive that recovery. Cause that is the largest market for all of that, mm-hmm. you know, and business travel, you know, has sort of this, also this impact in many other areas in workforce development and FDI and so many things that are sort of uh, where travel is a catalyst to, um, and I think those elements of, of everything that I, I've just noted, you, you can kind of look at Billy Bishop and say it is sort of the poster child for all of that. And yes. then you throw on access and velocity where business travel access is key, but also the speed of the velocity of that travel. And again, comes back to aviation being important and then looking at how important our city airport is to that, um, I think is, is, is really, really important. Yeah. So Neil, you know, on the heels of Scott's observations, you know, we know that there's jobs that are created, that it does affect tourism. How does aviation contribute to the broader economic uh, success of Toronto and the region? Do you have some facts, figures that you want to share? Um, maybe put it into perspective from the, the perspective of Newport Aviation and, and, the, and the city airport. Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, if, if you're taking, building on Scott's comments, uh, you know, the airport really is uh, the arteries into the city for the international travels and, and domestic uh, as well outside of Toronto. So, you know, with that uh, role, we act really as a catalyst for the economy. Um, and uh, when we look at uh, additional air services, for example, uh, that means new connections. Uh, new connections means new trade, new, vis- new visitors that otherwise wouldn't have come. Um, and, and yeah, I agree that the U.S. seems to be uh, the big, uh, the greatest market going forward. So there was a, there was a study done uh, a few years ago uh, which showed that uh, the airport, uh, uh, Billy Bishop Airport, uh, stimulates uh, two billion to the economy um, a year, and that, that's really built up uh, uh, with the direct component, direct jobs, but also the indirect uh, jobs mm-hmm. and also induced jobs. So. Uh, there, there is a, a sort of catalytic effect going forward. And we, we've uh, just done a, another study in conjunction with uh, an economic adv- uh, impact company called York Aviation and also reviewed by York University here in Toronto. And that shows that we can grow that to five, uh, uh, 5 billion per annum by 2025 uh, within the confines of uh, our, our landlord Port, Port Toronto's master plan if we do things right. Um, and that means, uh, you know, making sure that we use the slots that are available there most effectively uh, and, and look at the markets that will stimulate the greatest uh, opportunity for continuing to develop Toronto as a great city. So Neil, I just want to ask, and just for clarification, you're saying by 2025, with managed growth, we get to 5 billion. 
and right now we're at two billion. That's incredible. Yeah, that's not- I just want to make sure I heard those numbers right. That you can actually get to five billion with proper managed growth, and that's the key, right? Is having it be properly managed versus you know an all for nothing. That's not what you're suggesting. So it's a five billion, which is remarkable um, growth factor if we're at two billion right now. Yeah, that, that's that's correct, and and uh, I mean we do need a few things to happen and. Uh, perhaps we'll come on to talk about the, the U.S. pre-clearance facility, but that would be one stimulating uh, effect that uh, right. you know it would it would lead to more visitors coming into the city. And, and I should say that, of course, Pearson. Uh, I'm not forgetting Pearson. It's the the major airport for our city, um, and and we fit very well alongside that. The the two airports actually create quite a good airport network. Mm-hmm. Um, Porter have identified that they're looking forward to restarting with ourselves. Uh, uh, the beginning of September, um, and uh, yeah, a lot of cities have the airports with the two uh, two uh, big um, airports, and so we're you know very happy working alongside uh, yeah. uh, Pearson. Uh, we we have different. We, we're really the downtown airport for the downtown business market, um, and and have a strong important role in it. And, yeah. yeah, and as you say, you know, lots of cities have that element. You know, I lived in in London for. A couple of years and having you know a city airport and a larger Heathrow, it does bring that sort of um, amazing growth potential, but also options, unbelievable options that you would not have. So I want to flip over to the expansion question and ask you, John, um, why have you chosen Billy Bishop? Like just straight up, why have you chosen Billy Bishop? What's the draw for an American airline like Connect? Um, you know, there's obviously lots of um, thought that goes into these types of um, decisions. So please just, you know, lay it out for us because it's pretty exciting to have an American airline come in and sort of say, that's the airport. Out of all the different airports that are options to us, why Billy Bishop? Yeah. Uh, so great question, Farah. And let, let me sort of start even, even higher, sort of why Toronto? Um, I mean, as, as I said in my, what sort of surprised me about Toronto, it's the amount of, it's the development, the uh, the, uh, the the sort of the drive to develop, uh, as you say, in a very responsible way, uh, the Toronto community. So Toronto um, is one of the largest airline markets in North America. I think it's actually the fourth largest airline market in, in North America. So as we, as a US carrier, as we looked at where we were going to fly, uh, you know, that that sort of hit the radar. That it, clearly Toronto um, being a very vibrant uh, airline market. Um, and as, as you, you both you and Neil have said, um, air, uh, um, airline markets the size of Toronto, such as New York, Los Angeles, London, you know, San Francisco, et cetera, they all support more, uh, more than one airport. They all, all very happily support two and sometimes even three airports. Um, and, and as Neil said, Pearson has done a fantastic job as a hub. It's a major hub, very successful hub. But it makes sense, given the size of the Toronto market, that there needs to be there needs to be that business airport, um, and and just conveniently because of the size of the uh, the airport and also because of its location, uh, we can't think of a better downtown airport uh, to to complement the big hub than Billy Bishop. Uh, so Billy Bishop, we think, sort of uh, checks all the boxes in terms of uh, in terms of why you would want to fly into Toronto, why you'd want to fly into Billy Bishop. Um, and um, and we think there's great growth opportunities there. We, uh, as we sort of look at the market, um, we think there's probably something like about 30 markets in the US 
uh, that would be primed for connections uh, to Billy Bishop. Um, and again, it, uh, we, we want to encourage, uh, I, I think most, uh, most US business travelers at the moment default to Pearson. I think, um, you know, uh, that because of just sort of, let's say, because I think at the moment or pre-COVID, uh, Billy Bishop was only served out of four, uh, four markets in the US. Uh, there really wasn't that many markets. I mean, they were major markets, but mm -hmm. we think that by expanding the number of markets out of the US uh, into Billy Bishop, uh, we can significantly increase the business traffic to uh, to Billy Bishop. Not to make any assumptions or, or uh, prejudge that which is going to happen, but I'm just making my list of where I'm going to be traveling soon. So I wonder if you want to share with us any of those markets that you're going to be choosing, you know, just in case you want to. Well, and, yeah. and actually, it, it sort of gets back to Neil's point about preclearance. Um, right. I mean, the the the. I mean, obviously, uh, the ideal scenario is is uh, city airport to city airport. Uh, but uh, the two the two that we think are probably the most attractive is obviously LaGuardia to Billy Bishop uh, and Washington National to Billy Bishop. Uh, but at the moment, they're precluded uh, from service from Billy Bishop because in order to operate into those airports, you need to operate as a basically as a domestic. So you need the, the you need the U.S. preclearance, which obviously you have uh, have at Pearson. Um, so th those in particular, uh, we think are, are, are very attractive. I mean, part of the issue um, uh, in in serving the New York market at the moment is uh, is obviously pre-clearance. Um, oh, sorry, pre pre-COVID, the only service was from Billy Bishop to Newark. Um, so you know, Newark's a great airport, but the problem is that precludes everyone from that um, Westchester County. Uh, uh, southern Connecticut catchment area, which we think is uh, which is very attractive. So um, again, getting into LaGuardia, perhaps JFK, etc., okay. opens up a whole part of the New York market that currently really isn't addressable to Billy Bishop. So I want to jump to that. We've talked about preclearance a couple times, um, Neil. I think it's really important for people to understand what is the benefit. Uh, how does that affect? Give us a sense of what's going on with preclearance as it relates to. Um, how Newport Aviation and Billy Bishop's working to get this done? Because this seems to be a very big factor in our success, you know, with Connect, without Connect, whatever, it's a huge, huge uh, factor. So, Neil, I'm going to toss it over to you yeah. and ask you, where are we right now in this journey? Uh, what's standing in the way? Uh, what role do you guys have to play in, in making this happen? Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, as John said, you know, with the pre-clearance facility, you're, uh, you, you kind of remove that extra barrier of arriving in the in the U.S. and having to clear the customs, and you do it all at this end. Uh, that just makes a big difference because, as John also has said, there are some airports that just don't have the, the customs facilities in the U.S., so we couldn't have the service if we if we wanted it just now. So it was identified long before my arrival that there there was a a good opportunity with the um, development of the pre-clearance facility at, uh, at Billy Bishop. And, and if anything, that, that opportunity has, has become more transparent and more understood. Um, and, and there's been uh, Ports Toronto, uh, uh, due a lot of credit for uh, leading the way on this initiative. Um, also, Porter Airlines are also big uh, advocates of, uh, of this uh, sec securing the pre-clearance. Um, so with, with, with it, it just it will open up more markets. See, we know that there are uh, mm -hmm. opportunities beyond the ones John talked about as well. Um, and looking at our growth projections, uh, we see the US market as being uh, the strongest market, 
stronger even than uh, Canadian domestics in terms of growth numbers. Mm-hmm. And that's good news for Scott because it will bring in more uh, corporate uh, business tourists as well. So where we are in the process is, is um, we're waiting in, in a sense. Um, we, we've got a few little uh, things to sort out in terms of the financing of it. Um, and, and really with COVID, it's sort of set us back. Uh, uh, and especially with the, the, the discussions with the US authorities. So we're looking forward now that we're starting to get all the good signs about recovery and restart and, and, and of course, safety. Uh, we'll uh, look forward to quickly uh, resuming uh, discussions with, uh, with the U.S. Uh, Homeland Security people to, to get the design right. Because obviously technology is one thing that has evolved over the years and we have to keep pace with. So um, hopefully the sooner the better. But it is critically important and it's critically important that, that Canadian politicians, U.S. politicians maintain their, their uh, good judgment. Uh, when they committed to have this project developed at the airport. Yeah. So Scott, I'm going to assume just John, I'll come back to you, but Scott, I'm going to assume that you have something to say here because you've got a master plan and part of the master plan would include this type of expansion. So Scott, I want to ask if you'll, if you'll reflect on those comments and then John, I'll, I'll have you come in after that. Well, first I want to call out Neil for a great term, the corporate business tourist. Um, Often we define tourists as the person that sits by the pool and has margaritas. Um, But in the visitor economy, tourism is is sort of synonymous with traveler or visitor. So thanks for that new term, Neil. We're going to use that, I I can tell you. But I also think it's important that these these visitors are also equally important to Stephen London, his work at Toronto Global, to Lee Smoot at World Trade Center Toronto. I mean, these are equally their clients as our clients. Um, and I think it goes back to what I talked about, about the velocity um, as, as a real key driver for business. And if you can, pre-clearance is such, a, such an important part of that, that process of getting somewhere fast, efficiently. And, and it, it's, it's one of those things as a city like Toronto, we should be aspiring to those kind of things as, this, as the global city that we are. Global cities have these types of assets. And global cities function on them. And again, it just makes travel easier. And, mm-hmm. and access and velocity are so important in business travel. Um, and, and so I, I would just double down on, on everything that Neil said and sort of the, the idea of how important that is as a service to, our, to the economic vitality of our city. John. Yeah, and, and Farah, there's actually another angle on the whole preclearance, and that's the um, that's the connecting traffic in the US. So um, pre, pre, uh, pre-COVID, there was something like about 2,600 passengers a day that were connecting somewhere in the US that, um, that ended up in Toronto. Um, and, and obviously, uh, as everyone re- recognises, um, with, with preclearance, um, it would allow gate-to-gate connections, whereas at the moment, obviously, if, you're, if you don't have preclearance, you've got to uh, clear US customs in an international terminal in the US and then connect to a domestic terminal. But if you had this domestic-to-domestic connectivity at US airports, um, it just it, it's phenomenal in terms of the customer the customer convenience in for those 2,600 passengers a day. It actually gives them a better choice in terms of their destination being Toronto, their destination being downtown Toronto, uh, much much more convenient than than necessarily being pushed to to Pearson at the moment. So what's the so I guess I mean I know Neil, you've said there's things that need to be worked through, but what's the what's the timing like? What are we talking about in terms of you know, we are recognizing what Scott said, which is we're not out of the pandemic, but we really have to look forward if we want to make things happen in the city. So we've got interest from Connect. You know, Newport's got a plan. 
um, organizations like the ones that Scott mentioned have plans. So what, what is the ideal timing? I know it would be yesterday, but what's the ideal timing to actually have this happen without losing opportunities? Because that's the key, right? Uh, if this goes on for too long, you start to lose opportunities. So maybe talk to us a little bit about that timing. Um, yeah, it's really important question. I, I mean, for every month we lose at the moment, of course, that's a month at the other end, and it's a month that we we're impatient about because of the uh, economic impact. Um, the, the, essentially, actually, you know, in one sense, we're shovel ready. We've actually uh, moved offices uh, already, or, or because that's the location for the new preclearance. So we have vacated the the premises with the cooperation of the of the port authority. So we're kind of looking at it in one sense as being a shovel-ready project. However, there is a, a there is a, a funding issue um, mm -hmm. because um, there the, I won't get into too much technical detail, but the way it's always worked in the past, the way it still works with other airports, is that the US have funded the facility, funded the manpower, uh, people power, should I say? They they, they basically have funded uh, all of it. Um, and, uh, and and they've done so because it helps ease their immigration queues and it's a service mm -hmm. for their people. But now they, they changed that model when they uh, put a pre-clearance facility into Qatar Airport um, maybe five years ago. And uh, they now look for the um, the other side of the, the routes to fund it. So there are that, that creates a complexity around funding. Um, we are committed to funding the infrastructure of it. And we are uh, we, we're just waiting for final solutions um, from uh, uh, the federal government in Canada around uh, how we uh, fund it from there. The additional the, so the Newport, gap funding. So Newport is committed to putting in funds. Yes, absolutely, okay. absolutely. Um, and, and that's and, a that's a departure from how it's happened in the past, which is obviously speaks to the commitment that Newport has to make this happen. Um, okay, well, that's yeah. an, you know that's interesting because I think most people would not understand that that was funded in the past by the U.S. and now that model has changed and um, you know that does mean that um, you know organizations like Newport they have you have to put some substantial money in to make it happen and that yeah. speaks to your commitment to the expansion. And it's why it's important that people understand the economic impact because of course it's the economic impact is, is so so significantly mm -hmm. higher mm -hmm. than any cost. Mm -hmm. Well, um, so uh, with that, John, yes, go ahead, please. From, from an, if I can sort of put in that, put in, put in the, the airline perspective, I think uh, airlines, obviously, when it comes to uh, airports and airport costs, are always looking for a level playing field. Um, I, 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 again, I think the concern from an air, uh, airline perspective is if you've got other airports that effectively you're competing with or complementing with that have got a different set of economics to the ones that are being uh, put uh, to uh, to this situation, uh, we see the role of government coming in and perhaps uh, providing funding for that. Because as we all know, we can talk about economic development, but the, the major benefactor of economic development is the government in terms of the tax receipts they receive through right. that economic development. So to us, it's a bit of a no-brainer for a government to come in and say, well, look, if there's this economic development from a government standpoint, we're going to pick up this uh, significant in increased tax revenues. Why don't we? Why don't we actually help on the funding of that to expedite it? And I and I think again, obviously, governments around the world are looking at ways to stimulate economic development coming out of COVID. We would say that this is an ideal example of one of those opportunities. So, Don, and I just want to take the chance to again remind people that we're going to have Q's and A's come in through, and I've, I see a couple coming up. We've got about 20 minutes left for our conversation. But, John, I think this is really important. If I'm putting you on the 
on the spot. Um, you'll find a gentle way to not answer my question, I'm sure. But with everything that's going on with preclearance, with um, you know the situation that we find ourselves, the fact that Connect has chose, chosen Toronto, can you give us a sense of when you'll be landing your first plane here in Toronto to take off again? Uh, so, Farah, uh, lots of things we need to do to, to get there, but we're looking uh, around sort of the November timeframe, so sometime during November. But actually, uh, you will see our aircraft in the skies a lot, uh, a lot earlier than that because uh, we have to do these things called proving runs. Uh, so that that, that will uh, that will be soon, and and in fact, actually, um, our our first aircraft actually is in the paint shop uh, paint shop in Muskoka at the moment. So uh, we'll actually unveil our uh, unveil our aircraft in the next week or so. Oh, that's pretty exciting! I didn't know that. I should tell you that literally, as I'm looking out, I am staring at where the planes would fly by. I live on Queen's Key, and as uh, as Kelly mentioned, I'm a I'm less than a kilometer away from the airport. So I look forward to seeing that that plane go by. Um, and, and cheering on the sidelines uh, for you. So I want to go to a couple of questions that we have received from our audience. The first is from Joan, and I will just, I will just read it out. It's not, um, it's not specifically for one particular person, so we'll have a quick round and, and see who wants to answer it. The pandemic has also shown companies how they can reduce cost and speed production pipelines by turning to technologies introduced during the pandemic. Zoom for sure, but each individual industry, mine being film and television production, has pivoted and adopted these new technologies that will continue into the future. How has that factored into your estimates and the return to business travel via airline? So who wants to take that one first? I think each of you might have something to say. Uh, I'll, I'll, no, go, go for it, Scott. But John, please, you're, you, you go first, please. Okay, let's go John, Scott, and Neil, if you want to add something. So, so far in my former life, I was a uh, consultant and ran an aviation practice for a consulting firm. And we lived through all this with 9-11 and all of the, all of the, and, and back in the sort of the previous days, people sort of said, you know, business travel is never going to come back. It's never, and, and remember mm-hmm. around, you know, to early 2000s, we had, did have video conferencing. It will come back. I mean, uh, it will come back because at the end of the day, uh, more than 50% of business travel is related to selling services. It's salespeople out on the road um, selling services. And the moment you have a competitor that's in there uh, doing a face-to-face meeting, you want to get on a plane and get back. So we we think that, um, and, and certainly we're seeing signs of this in the US. Um, uh, I mean, a, a, again, people thought that it would be uh, a lot slower, but... Uh, they're now uh, very positive signs, certainly in terms of uh, North American business travel. International will take longer to come back, but certainly there are very positive signs on business travel coming back uh, uh, to the forefront. I, I think if if there was a word of caution, it's more the timing. I think we will go back to previous levels, but it's more the timing un, uh, under which we get there. Right. Fair enough. Scott? I mean, we do a lot of work with organizations like um, the, the the Greater Business Travel Association of Canada and, and many organizations that are, we're hearing sort of three things. There's there's clearly an efficiency from Zoom in, in certain aspects of our, of our business life, um, whether that's, you know, training or users conference, or as we're saying, we instead of picking up the phone and call someone, you now connect on a Zoom. So yeah. it's kind of replaced the phone call versus the in-person meeting on some level. But when you're talking about team building, when you're talking about networking, when you're talking about creating ethos, creating common vision and strategy, um, that's been very elusive on Zoom, um, almost to the point where it's it's actually kind of gone in, 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 an, in an opposite direction. Um, and so while we have maybe a more remote workforce, 
bringing that workforce together to meet and talk about ethos and strategy and direction of the company is going to be a part of the future. And so we're very optimistic about the return of business travel um, and again, meetings and, and, and events just for that, for that very reason. And again, to lean into what John said, a lot of, a lot of business travel is sales and there's still a very important component of that face-to-face um, that can be replicated on some level in Zoom much more at the transactional point mm-hmm. than at the origina- origination point. And so yeah. we're very bullish about the return of business travel. Yeah, and there's lots. Of, there's been a lot said and written, I guess, in the last two weeks in particular, as people are trying to figure out, is it a hybrid model? What does that mean for teams that are not face-to-face or you're relying too much on Zoom? And I think that that has to be taken into consideration. Neil, quick comment before we move on to another question. Yeah, I think um, just to add to that, the... It's been really interesting seeing what has happened in the U.S. domestic market uh, for flying and how quickly it was restored and comes back to almost exactly where it was uh, pre-pandemic in terms of the amount of flown, flown traffic. And there, they talk about Zoom and taking over and so forth. And I think part of that is just natural tendencies to the, the preference. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're all a bit Zoom fatigued by now, if we're honest. And uh, after this call, I'm sure that many of the viewers are straight onto another Zoom call and straight onto another one after that. So we, we there, there ends up becoming quite a pent-up uh, demand to get back. And the great thing we've got is Toronto. Because, like, if you haven't been able to visit Toronto for the last two years, you know, clearly there's going to be a pent-up demand. And I'll go back to my corporate business tourist because the, the, the business... Uh, People who come here are not just coming because it's a great convention or a great event that they're coming to, but they come because of the location. And I think yeah. there's a great demand for this location that won't go away because people yeah. are, are doing so, so, you know, this will lead to a question that Brian has asked. Brian says for John, and I think, Neil, you'll all three of you can answer it, but specifically for John, the question is three airlines, City Express, Air Ontario, and it appears from news reports, Porter, um, have failed to build successful businesses at the island airport. Now, I just want to make sure that people understand this is Brian's point of view and not the point of view of the organization or mine. Will you recognize that there's not, there's just not enough business and accept the airport doesn't have the necessary volume for an airline to be successful there? I'm going to guess that you want to take that on and you've done your math and it is, you know, we wouldn't be having this conversation with you if you haven't. So maybe just explain um, to Brian and those who have this opinion that there are concerns, there have been others who've come in and they've left, over to you to, to take that on. Yeah, yeah, so so far I think um, I think the first observation is that they're all Canadian airlines and, um, not, and, and, and again, I think I put that in the context of their focus has been Canadian domestic travel uh, out of the island um, and, um, and, and we've got a very different approach. I mean, uh, I think it's well known that, um, that uh, a number of US carriers have been trying to get into the island over the years. Um, you know, there's been a lot of consolidation, so things sort of changed. But I think it's the notion of uh, a US carrier that uh, actually has a good proposition for US business travellers coming into the island, juxtapose uh, Pearson, uh, that we think we are, is the game changer. I think... Um, I think again, you look at uh, you look at the uh, longevity of Porter's operation into the U.S. Um, uh, they've got a very successful operation into the U.S. Um, you look at the frequency uh, on some of their routes, uh, say Newark, etc. 
you know, they wouldn't be doing that if that wasn't successful. So I think I think you're going to make the distinction between the Canadian domestic operation, where we're clearly uh, given the opera everyone's operations at uh, at Pearson, the strength of Air Canada at Pearson. Uh, it's very hard to go against the strength of Air Canada. Uh, with their network at Pearson, juxtapose that to a US carrier that's coming in that's focused very much on the transporter market. Yeah, a huge differential, right? Uh, Neil, did you want to say something there? Yeah, just just in case there was a perception that um, I think you you mentioned Porter being unsuccessful. Porter yeah. are very successful, mm -hmm. so successful in fact that they're able to springboard uh, from where they are now into into the Pearson uh, development, and uh, but but not. Uh, uh, at any expense of our, of our airport, where they are clearly set on returning in, in this on September the eighth. Right. Yeah, yeah, an important I think an important point to make that Porter has been very successful. I myself, you know, I've tried many times to uh, book a flight only to see sold out, which is, is what you want to see because you know that the volume's up there. Um, We've got about, uh, I would say about eight minutes or, or a bit more than that. And I've got a number of different questions. So we're going to try to go rapidly through some of these things. Um, let's see, we've got one here from Ravi um, about the Delta variant. So um, this goes to um, Don and I'm going to ask Scott to respond also is that Toronto region has been under lockdown, partial lockdown for a long period and travel and airline sectors have been adversely impacted. Cross-border business travel has almost come to a complete halt, and the Delta variant is knocking on our doors. Connect Airlines is choosing to launch here is fantastic news for the region. However, can you share some of the considerations that you've built into your strategy, given that COVID or its variants are here to stay and may continue to disrupt travel in the near term? Where do you see yourself in five years from now after you launch? So, John, that goes to you. Scott, I'm going to ask you if you have any uh, any information you want to share as you've been plugged into sort of how to deal with the, the variants and, and COVID. So John, uh, and I remind everyone, we've just got a, a very short period of time for a very big question. Uh, so far, I'm, I'm not certainly not an expert on this, uh, but what I have seen, and, and as we all read, uh, we are getting into two very different states um, uh, around the world. There's the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. Uh, what people are saying time and time again is that uh, in a vaccinated environment, uh, people are very safe uh, versus the Delta, the Delta variant. Um, so I think part of it is obviously the timing of our launch. Um, again, uh, as you may be aware, there's something like about 50 airlines around the world that are launching um, because they see the significant opportunity in the airline industry post-COVID. So, I mean, we're very mindful of it. I think it also gets back to that launch date. Uh, we're clearly not going to launch if there are still issues. Um, I think we're, we're very encouraged by Porter's announcement of, uh, of restarting in September. Um, so I think, you know, we're, wa we're watching it carefully and we um, uh, obviously will adjust our launch plans depending upon uh, the state of the state of uh, the, uh, the play uh, then. And then I think in terms of five years time, uh, I mean, we, we believe, uh, as I said, uh, we think there's about 30 uh, markets in the US that are prime for service into Billy Bishop. Uh, we would like to be serving as many of those as possible. Okay. Great. Scott, any reflections you want to add? Um, I would just double down on the idea of vaccinations. That, that is the way that we ensure protection against the Delta variant. Um, we've been making enormous strides as a community. Um, and mm -hmm. we know that the, the uh, people like Chris Bloor from Tile, our industry have been calling for a plan from the government, and that's going to be really important. And that plan must include um, things like 
testing, but also you know, vaccination and the interoperability of vaccination verification um, mm -hmm. is going to be key to the recovery um, and key to our ability to protect our, our, our community. Yeah, and, and uh, part, I'll, I'll just say, look, I'm, I'm really proud of how Canadians have responded to the vaccine. Um, we are now, I think, number one in the world for first mm -hmm. vaccinations, and we're growing in the second. And I think that's a testament to how, um, you know, we've had a plan, we're activating that plan, um, everything from distribution, and people want to get moving, right? People want to get moving. So I think that's um, a really big thing. Look, we've, we've only got five minutes. We've got a major, major question that I wanted to ask. It's being asked by three other people on the on the um, the chat here, and it's about when you people hear the word expansion of airlines, they also think about environment and noise. Mm -hmm. I'm asking this as a resident, as the moderator, as somebody who is working currently on a huge environmental business opportunity. Um, Don, first, I'm going to put you on the spot. That's a major concern down here. And I know that um, you guys have taken that into consideration. So let us know, what are you guys doing to ensure that we're not going to be, you know, sitting here worried about pollution, um, noise? What is, what's the next plan? Uh, what's your contribution to making sure that that does not happen? And then Neil, I want to ask you a little bit about what can you say about the, the work and the information that you have around environmental impact um, around the expansion? So first to John, uh, to you, and then and then Neil, I'll I'll put it over to you. Uh, so far, it's a it's a great question, and the U and the global airline industry is committed to obviously reducing their uh, their footprint. Um, the the nice thing about Billy Bishop is that it only allows turboprop aircraft uh, into the, into the airport. Um, and turboprop aircraft, I, I mean, we we you know we we did a recent uh, analysis to say if you if you actually took if you replace some of the uh, turboprop the, the the jets flying out of Pearson uh, with turboprops uh, flying out of uh, out of Billy Bishop, you would significantly reduce the carbon footprint uh, in the Toronto area. So so number one is. Uh, already the airport is limited to the most uh, environmentally friendly uh, aircraft that is available, the Q400, uh, so that's a plus. But secondly, um, if we sort of look forward over the next couple of years, there's obviously a lot of talk in the, uh, in, in the industry about electric, you know, everyone's going to fly around in these electric planes and blah, blah, blah. We think that's, you know, we think that's a little bit too much of hype. Um, there is, however, a significant, um, a significant effort and investment going on on alternative energy. And the alternative energy for transport aircraft, being uh, ours being 78-seat aircraft, um, is hydrogen power. Um, there's a company called Universal Hydrogen, uh, led by some of the luminaries in the airline in, or in the aerospace industry, that basically has a roadmap. Um, for the next, uh, within four to five years of actually converting uh, the aircraft that we will be flying into hydrogen powered aircraft. So number one, uh, zero emissions, uh, which is fabulous. But number two, actually a significant reduction in the noise. Um, so we see that as a huge win. Um, and the nice thing about it, the reason why we think this is very practical, other than, uh, you know, you've got all these electric people that are saying we're going to come out and develop all these new aircraft. No, why this is so practical is we're taking existing aircraft and just changing the power plants on the aircraft um, to zero emissions. So we're actually very excited that um, we think that within five years, um, the aircraft flying into Billy Bishop will have zero, zero uh, emissions uh, and actually be quite, quite uh, quieter, which we, we think 
will allow uh, us and other operators into the airport to grow very responsibly. That's great news. I mean, I, again, I say that as a resident, but I also say that because that's the way the world is going. Every corporation has to have an ESG plan. Every corporation has to do its part to get the net zero, net negative. Um, and so I'm, I'm thrilled to hear that. Um, Neil, a long time ago, you know, when we first met, I said, I, I do live in the area. I'd love to know what you guys are doing to ensure that the impact on the environment um, is, is nil uh, negatively. And, and what are you guys doing about it? So maybe if you could quickly share um, from your perspective, the work that Newport is interested or committed to doing to ensure that um, any kind of expansion particularly managed uh, expansion doesn't have a negative impact on the environment and the residents in this area. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Farah. Uh, just building on John's, I mean, what John just said there is actually, you know, quite uh, remarkable in, from an industry perspective. Um, you know, it's a, there's, a, there's a lot of times I think industry can be accused, uh, this industry can be accused of, of saying things and, and what have they really done. Um, and, and I think, um, we are actually in a good place because when we talk about creating a sustainable future, it's ideas like John's that uh, really um, can make a, make a huge difference, not just to us, but to, to other people. And, you know, I think some airports are, um, you know, trying to be first and they, they try and, uh, and some airlines too, try and be first, let's create this. But sometimes the best thing to do is actually steal some ideas from somewhere else. <laughs> and this this idea with a with universal hydrogen is, I read about it with Iceland there, for example. I mean, if it works, just steal it. I just give them credit for it and, and just move on. Because that, it's only when we drop our egos and all work together as an industry that we can uh, we can move forward really with the, sustain, the sustainable future that we, we've talked about in the past. Mm -hmm. And I think also for us, it's about the, the service partners, the suppliers. We've got some very big companies that depend on us for employment in Toronto whether it's the Hudson's and SSPs of the world, whether it's the JCI's, mm -hmm. the B Cleans, all, all, all the other companies at the airport and, and beyond. And uh, they've also got big environmental ambitions. So really, we, we need to find a way of working closer uh, as an industry and stop looking at it as airlines and airports. But actually, mm -hmm. this industry uh, and, and bring these service partners, some of which are bigger than the airports themselves, when you look at their uh, profit and loss accounts, and let's start uh, working together as a, as a whole chain. So, you know, we've done some great things in Port Toronto, especially. I've done some great things at the airport. I mean, the fact that our airport has over 40% of people travel, uh, traveling uh, on public transport and green transport to, to, to get to the airport is, is pretty good. I mean, it's yeah. uh, much higher than anywhere else I've ever been at. And uh, they, they were pretty determined uh, in, in terms of like future car parking, et cetera, to prioritize the continuation of good, uh, of good green public transport. And so we picked up on that and we're committed to supply, get our, our bus services uh, electric, for example, um, hydrogen if possible, but let's, let's you know, we, we, but we are committed and we'll back uh, John and other airlines and Affair Canada, they're another of our airlines, of course, and Porter. We, we will uh, we will look to uh, co-invest. Port Toronto have got some great ideas in this area, so uh, that's quite exciting to to be thinking collectively about the sustainable future and yeah. uh, and the community outreach as well, because we, you know the yeah. communities are great around us. Uh, there's some uh, great communities on the waterfront, etc. And it's just about finding that uh, way of working together with them. 
And Neil, is it fair for me to ask um, that you guys have likely done some environmental impact studies and, um, you know, because it's such an active area for people to be worried about that issue, that when the time comes, when the, the work is done or whenever you finish those environmental impact assessments, some of that detail will come out. So you can really back up the fact that you guys have taken environment into consideration. So I think, you know, I, I think people want to know um, what you know in some ways where it's where it's helpful to ensure that the community feels safe. Um, so I just plant that as one of the questions that's come in saying, have you done any studies on the impact of the people who live beside the airport? What have you found? Are the studies available to the public is the question. I'm not sure if you guys have yeah. uh, done stuff that you want to share now or you'll be making it available later. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll do that. Um, we've, uh, we've recently completed a study on the economic impact because often that is the, that is an area that's just not fully understood in terms of the, the, the meaningful contribution that we make to the city um, in, in the economy. But you're absolutely spot on for in terms of the environment side as well, environmental impact. This, this work's all being done. And also Port Toronto are, are very strong, I have to say, as a, as a regulator, holding us to account as the terminal operator, holding the airlines to account. John, you you know, they'll hold you to account as well in terms of in terms of some of these things, and that's good. It's healthy because we're we're actually pretty responsive, and we can work uh, more together to to yeah. further that, and, and absolutely make a commitment to uh, be more transparent uh, in terms of what we publish on the websites, etc. Yeah. Well, listen, we're at time. We could have uh, spoken a lot more. We covered all of our questions. I want to thank all three of you. It's been a pleasure. Um, again. I think I speak for a lot of people. I've got ants in my pants and I'm ready to fly. And so uh, I look forward to that. And with that, I'm going to hand it back to Kelly. Uh, again, thank you for the opportunity to moderate uh, this discussion. Thank you, Farah. That uh, was such an informative and insightful conversation, uh, you know, wide ranging for sure, not just about economic recovery. And thank you, Neil, John, and Scott. I'd now like to introduce Christopher Bloor, President and CEO of TAIO, the Tourism Industry Association of Ontario, our supporting sponsor. Christopher is going to deliver some closing remarks. Over to you, Christopher. Thank you, Kelly. And first of all, let me thank Farah for moderating such an engaging conversation between such a great panel of guests this afternoon. Uh, rather like everybody else on the panel today, uh, as my accent gives away, I'm not originally from Toronto either, but such as the lure of this diverse and exciting city, my family has made, it, made, has made Toronto our home in the last two years. And I'm currently sitting in my office in downtown Toronto now, overlooking the topic of discussion today, Billy Bishop Airport. And I'd like to thank Neil, John and Scott for such a comprehensive discussion on the importance of Billy Bishop Airport to Toronto and the integral role it will play in the recovery of the tourism industry, the visitor economy and specifically business travel and events. You know, there can be no escaping the fact that the past 16 months have been nothing short of catastrophic for the tourism industry. You know, as we cautiously start to reopen our economy, we know that reopening doesn't necessarily mean recovery. As Scott mentioned earlier, Toronto has suffered enormously over the past 16 months. You know, the collapse of its visitor economy and business travel is likely to have lost well over $10 billion by the time we recover from COVID-19. We've lost thousands of jobs and the economic scars of increased debt and lost opportunity for expansion will undoubtedly live with us for some years to come. 
Our industry will need long-term economic support from both the province and federal governments well into 2022 to remain competitive and help lead our recovery. And as vaccinations rates increase dramatically, we need the federal government to announce its plan to reopen our international borders, specifically with the United States. But, you know, while our industry is innovative and resilient, and this it's discussions like today that make me excited for our future. When I see the first hand work, when I see firsthand the work that Scott is doing at Destination Toronto to promote our city, and when I listen to John and Neil's plans for the future, I'm not only confident that Toronto will recover, but surpass pre-COVID-19 levels. But we have to act quickly and decisively. You've heard today about the opportunities we have to seize the initiatives with, and if we're ambitious for our city, we can help lay the groundwork for an ex exponential growth, improve our connectivity, and open up our city to new and exciting lucrative markets. TIO stands ready to play our part in both government relations and in any support that we can give. I'd like to thank the Empire Club for facilitating this, afternoon, this afternoon's conversation, Farah for moderating so eloquently, and again, Neil, Scott and John for their insight. And I'll hand back to you, Kelly. Thank you. And thank you again for your support as supporting sponsor. It, uh, it's really great to be able to bring these critical conversations on topics that impact Canadians and um, others, of course, as lots of chat about, you know, uh, connections with the U.S. today, for example. And we really appreciate that. I'd like to thank again Farah, Neil, John and Scott and everybody joining us today um, or anybody who's going to be tuning in or listening at a later date. The Empire Club will be taking a short break over the next weeks, but we will be back in September with more of those conversations that matter. So stay tuned, have a safe summer, and we'll see you in September. This meeting is now officially adjourned.